Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hello, and welcome back to Food Therapy. How are you feeling, Britt? I'm feeling great. How are you doing? I'm tired. I just had to eat some additional coffee, <laughs> drink some. Laura and I are recording some back-to-back episodes yes. today. So we're honestly so excited to mm-hmm. be here. And today we're going to talk all about food addiction. Such a fun topic. It's such a fun topic. And oftentimes I'll hear from people who want to try intuitive eating. Like I really, I'm curious about intuitive eating. I want to try it, but I'm addicted to food. Yeah. Or you've been told that you're addicted to food because some people genuinely think that it's a like, I've heard that therapists have said that to some people yep. or doctors yep. or whatever. Or maybe it was a dietitian. I mean, not to, yep. not to shame any particular practitioner, but we just want to kind of debunk that a little bit. And what's really happening in your brain? What's the science behind addiction? And can you actually be addicted to food? Yes. And Laura and I both want to validate the fact that if you feel like you're addicted to food, we completely get that. And it makes sense why you feel that way. And, you know, we never want to dispel or tell someone that their experience isn't real or valid because it absolutely is. But we simply just really want to share some of the science or we can say lack of science behind some of the food addiction logic. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit first about the actual food addiction theory. What is actually happening in your brain when it comes to food addiction, quote unquote? Yeah. So you know, what some of this theory states is foods share common pathways in the brain. Foods can really activate some reward neurons. When food is consumed, a lot of the dopamine receptors are altered. And even the anticipation of eating actually activates brain regions seen in drug abuse. But we're going to actually dig into a lot of the flaws behind this research because there are a lot of them. And the first one being that most of the studies that have been conducted on food addiction have actually been done on rodents. And so interestingly enough, the rats in these studies only showed quote unquote addictive behaviors when they were given intermittent access to sugar or energy. So basically when these rats were restricted of food or sugar, then they show these addictive behaviors. But when they were given free access to food, they actually didn't display any of these behaviors. So what these studies actually illustrate is that Mm -hmm. restriction can fuel binging rather than a food addiction. Yes, exactly. And not only like addiction in the sense of, you know, always feeling like always going to the food um, after they'd been restricted, but also showing the dopamine response. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter in your brain and it 
goes off when you have pleasure. So pleasure can come from many different things. You can get a response of dopamine in your brain for many different things, whether it's listening to music, going to hang out with your friends, anything that really makes you happy. And dopamine is basically your happy um, neurotransmitter right? So when these rats were restricted to the sugar or whatever food it was, and then they were given access to it, their dopamine, they had a surge of dopamine. Whereas the rats that had full access to whatever foods, to the sugar, whatever, they did not have this surge of dopamine. So that addiction quote unquote argument, first of all, dopamine is only one component of addiction pathways. There are so many things in the brain that go on with, in regards to addiction in terms of like uh, alcohol and and drugs. Dopamine is a very small component. Uh, Like I said, there's tons of things in our lives that cause a surge of dopamine, whether it's listening to music, socializing, et cetera, you're not addicted to those things, right? So Remembering that it's only one piece of the puzzle, but also the only time that it actually gave you that surge of dopamine is when you were restricted to it in the first place. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. And the other thing we want to talk about too is the fact that there aren't any one food or any types of foods that have actually been identified as an addictive compound. So we say Mm -hmm. like, oh, these addictive foods, and yet no one food has ever been shown to truly be addictive. One thing that I did want to bring up Mm -hmm. that I think is interesting is this Yale food addiction questionnaire. And what's frustrating with this is like, we see Yale and we're like, oh my God, this is so legitimate. Like this isn't created by a food company. Like this is Yale university. But, you know, with this questionnaire, it was created to categorize food addiction and research, but there are so many flaws in this because first of all, all of the responses were self-reported. So they weren't actually based on clinical evaluation. It also didn't control for people being on diets. And so it didn't show what restriction does to someone. And that in itself is a major flaw. So I wanted to just point that out because you might hear, well, there have been studies and there have been, you know, this Yale food addiction questionnaire. But again, there are a lot of flaws in this. Yeah. And not only, I mean, yeah, I guess this is a flaw too, but this is the difficulty with nutrition research. This is why it's so difficult. And this is why you're constantly hearing, oh my gosh, this is true. This is true. I mean, aside from the the fact that many people that are talking about nutrition just don't have any expertise in general, but overall it's really difficult to study nutrition because First of all, there's that self-reported piece. You never know if it's true or if it's, you know, people, half the people in this world can't remember what they ate for breakfast this morning, right? Like I can't remember what I ate this weekend. And that's a big component of, of nutrition research is reporting. Like you can't keep somebody in a lab for their entire lives, controlling what they eat to, to see the effects of it. And then it's like, okay, is that even, is that even true? Or or did they have poor outcomes because they were stuck in a lab their entire life, you know? Right. 
It's it's actually so funny. So I was listening to Maintenance Phase with Aubrey, Aubrey Gordon. And I think it was an episode on research, like nutrition research. And what was funny was they were talking about like FFQs. And it's like in an FFQ, it's like a food, what is it? A food something questionnaire. Food frequency. Frequency. Yeah. Food frequency questionnaire. And it's like over the last six months, like how much cheese yeah. have you had? Or like how many like berries have you had in the last like six months to a year? And it's like, who the hell remembers how much cheese and berries you've had in the last six months? Like that is an impossible thing to determine. So arbitrary. I remember doing that in like research class in college. And I was like, it really stressed me out because I was like, I have no freaking idea. It's not tangible. It's really hard to to create a cause and effect with food in in research. I would say it's almost impossible. And that is also why research is constantly evolving and changing because you also can't look at foods in isolation. It's not like you can look at broccoli, how broccoli impacts someone. And it's like, oh, like this was the broccoli or was it the fact that they just eat a higher fiber diet or, you know, eat foods that have a lot of antioxidants and polyphenols and all of that. So it's definitely, you know, very interesting. What I think we should move into now, Lauren, is, you know, if it's true that food addiction isn't well-researched, it's not well-studied, and there are a lot of flaws to this, and someone still is coming to us and saying, but I am addicted to food. What are some ways Mm. we can alleviate some of that, you know, craving or pressure to want to eat? If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, I mean, the one thing that we've seen in the research we just discussed is that restriction causes this feeling of being addicted to food, right? Uh, So increasing the food that you're actually feeling addicted to and taking note that these quote unquote addictive foods that have been you know, we have these stories of like, okay, Oreos are addictive or processed foods are addictive. Like these are all foods that by society are deemed quote unquote bad, right? Right. So is it really the food or is it that these foods are bad? So we restrict them. So then we're feeling addicted to them because what is it really? Is it actually the components of the food that there has been no addictive substances other than the, the piece that people are saying is addictive is sugar. And this is what the research is done on is sugar. So it doesn't really make sense that they're trying to say that sugar is the, the problem, but that at the same time, when you restrict sugar, you want more of it. So it's all very conflicting. So I would say, honestly, one of my friends, she did a, a reel on Instagram and it was like, you want to want to stop eating so much sugar question mark buy more chocolate because you need to actually incorporate more of that food and show your body that it's available so that you're not getting this addictive response in the brain of so much dopamine. The other important point is that food addiction, first of all, you need food. And there's an argument that you can't be addicted to something that you need. Right. You need it to survive. Like you're not addicted to going to the bathroom. You're not addicted to water, et cetera. You need Uh, to survive. So with alcohol abuse, with drug abuse, the solution is abstinence, right? So to improve or cure whatever you want to call it, alcohol abuse or drug abuse, you just stop drinking. You just stop. And I don't want to undermine how it's not you just stop. I know it's a difficult process, but you stop taking the drug. You stop, you stop drinking alcohol. Now, 
with binge eating disorder or when you're feeling addicted to food, the solution is actually eating more of that food, right? So it's not abstaining and the solution is eating more. So how can it be an addiction if the solution is adding more of the quote unquote substance to end the addiction? Yeah, it's such a valid point. And it's, yeah, it's it's absolutely true. Again, like so many flaws in this argument and it's frustrating when I hear, I'm not even gonna say his name. It's, there was a famous podcaster who was saying that people are addicted to food and it's like, no, they're not. But again, like yeah. Laura and I, we want to validate that experience for you. And if you do really feel like you're addicted to foods, starting to introduce those foods in a way that feels good for you and giving yourself permission to eat them. So if you feel like you're addicted to chips, keep chips in your house. And you may eat a lot more of those chips than you want to in the beginning. But over time, this idea of like habituation yeah. comes in, which means, you know, with habituation, it's like, over time, you lose some of that sensory appeal. Like you don't want those same foods anymore. I actually have a bag of chips in my pantry. And if this was like six years ago, seven years ago, they would have been demolished or finished within a day. I truly forgot about them. I think mm -hmm. they're stale in my pantry. So habituation is really real. Yeah. One example I often use with clients too with habituation is... Mm -hmm. Think about Thanksgiving dinner, like the first night of Thanksgiving, you're so excited to eat by like day four or five of leftovers. You're like, never give me turkey and stuffing ever again. Like I am so over this. And yeah. this really is the case for all foods, exactly. not just Thanksgiving food. But first you need to give yourself the permission. You need to have these foods readily available if it's financially possible, because we do know it is a privilege to be able to keep these foods on hand at all times. Yes, exactly. And I think... Also with the concept of food addiction is that we want to place blame on something. So with, you know, binging behaviors or feeling like you're overeating, it's, it's almost for some people, the narrative is almost just turned into a joke, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm just addicted to food and you don't need to place blame. The blame is on diet culture and totally, you know, it's not your fault. And a lot of times it can feel like it's our fault. Like what's wrong with me? Why am I so addicted to food? Why can my sister have a cookie and not have to eat the whole bag? Like the comparison trap. Right. So seriously try to incorporate more of that food and see what happens. And I know it's scary, but I've had clients who they restrict bagels and then they have a, they force themselves. I mean, I hate to say that word force, but they do. Like it's not easy to have a bagel every single day for breakfast that week. And they're like, it's just not that good anymore. Right. Right. And sometimes people start to eat food. They're like, I actually don't even like this. I have a yes. client who, you know, she'd introduced breakfast, like kind of like that sugary breakfast cereal. And after a few weeks, a few days of eating it, she's like, I actually like genuinely don't like this. Like I had it on a pedestal for so long. Yes. And this is not even like really living up to my expectations. That happened to me when I let go of food rules for the first time. It was kind of like during holidays time. And my favorite. They're still like good. I still like them, but my favorite things in the world used to be those Pillsbury sugar cookies that came out during the holidays. You know, they have like the Halloween ones, they have the Christmas ones, they have the Easter ones, they have Valentine's Day ones. And I used to like eat all of the cookie dough. I was like, I was known for like, these were my cookies. And when I let go of food rolls and my mom got them, I was like, I was actually really upset because they were 
my favorite things. And I was like, they don't taste nearly as good as I thought they were. Wait, I have a very strong memory of you talking about this on Instagram stories. Yes. Was it like last year yeah. or two years ago? Like I, it might've been like one yeah. or two years ago. I genuinely have a memory of you in your yes. parents' kitchen talking about this. Yeah, <laughs> I, it was like a really big internal conflict for me. And it happened with bagels too. I was actually just talking about this with a client and she was just saying right now, like bagels are on a pedestal for her 100%. And I was like, it's sad. Like, I love bagels and like, you know, that's great. But on a Saturday morning, sometimes I'm like, I'd rather have a smoothie, which is insane to me. But it's they're right. just like not as good anymore, which stinks. But and it's this idea of like, you're neutralizing food. Right. So you're not emphasizing bagels over smoothies. It's like you, they're on the same platform. So for you, it's like, they're kind of the right. same. They make you feel differently and they, you know, they provide, right. one provides different types of satisfaction, but again, like one isn't better or worse. Right. And that's like the biggest thing. And it comes back to that idea of the dopamine response, right? So when I was restricting bagels, when I was restricting those cookies, that's why they tasted so good. They, the, right. the flavor actually wasn't different, but the mental response, the dopamine response in my brain was actually causing me to think that this food was so much better than it actually was, which yes. is wild. Our brains can do crazy things. Yes. Well, we would love to hear from you guys and let us know, like, is food addiction something that you've thought about? Is it something that you feel like you have? And we're curious to hear how this conversation has changed that for you, if it has, if it hasn't. So again, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe. We want to get this podcast out there to help more people with their relationship with food and body image and mental health. So we would be so, so appreciative if you share this with friends. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.